The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, this is Dudley. It's great to be back with you. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about this month. And uh, so if you're not able to kind of listen intently and take some notes, plan to listen to this again, because what, what I want to share with you and what I'm what I'm seeing, I think, is so, so very important, particularly in the times in which we live. Uh, before we get into it, I, I wanted to mention the the Kingdom Invade Culture series that I did this year that we're just now making available. I just now got it all put together in audio and video stuff. The Kingdom Invade Culture, I, I went through the book of Acts and took the uh, the progression of how the kingdom, the announcement that the kingdom has come, how that message affected the different cultures in the world. First of all, we see it affecting the Jewish culture in Jerusalem, and then it moves out to Samaria, and then it moves to Greece, to the Greek culture, it moves to the Roman culture, and to the other cultures of the world. I think you'll be highly blessed, uh, amazed at the power of the gospel. And it will give you hope for for what it, what can happen and already is happening in the world as the kingdom invades. So that's your featured resource. Call the office, go online, get that. The kingdom invades culture. You can get uh, audio for sure, and I think video as well. And of course, you would love to see my beautiful face on video. I'm absolutely sure. Hey, coming up this fall, I wanted to mention something to you we do a uh, a couples retreat that's just different than any couple. I've been married 48 years now, and I've been to a lot of couples retreats, led quite a few and been to some. And this is different than the couples retreats that I used to lead and that I used to attend in that it is actually about applying the gospel to your married life, to your family, to your to your spouse, to you. And, and so it's a joyous time. It's a good news to deal. It's not a matter of, you know, you got to learn to communicate better. I mean, we, we all know those things. That, but how do you apply the gospel to it? How is it motivated by the gospel? So if uh, if you have any interest in that, if you know somebody that that's interested in that or could you really use that, why don't you do whatever it takes to get there or get them there? So you need to go online and register or call the office and register. And uh, I, I just want to put in a plug for that because the time, the space is limited. And uh, I would love for you to be a part of that whole thing. Okay, so here we go. What are we going to talk about this month? Well, let me see if I can set the stage by, by, by talking about the fact that we're living in a time wherein the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel that Jesus announced, the gospel that the apostles preached, the gospel that invaded the kingdoms of the world, the gospel that transformed lives, the gospel that created such fear among the unbelievers, the Gentiles, and the Jews that it was persecuted. It cost the death of the the apostles, all except John. And that that gospel has been replaced by a version of American civil religion. 
that is kind of a mixture of nationalism and biblical truths and moralism and, and so forth. And it is, uh, it's not producing the fruit that the original gospel produced. And so th- there's a lot of dissatisfaction. There's a, there's a lot of folk looking. People, there's a lot of talk about the blessed life. There are a lot of books been written. A lot of lots here in there. Uh, <laughs> there books been written about the blessed life, the best life, the better life, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, almost in all of them, there's the the uh, the effort to help you to know how to leverage certain principles and to be obedient to certain guidelines that will bring better benefits for you. But people are confused by that because they read the scriptures and and they have questions. Uh, does partial obedience? on our part, gain partial blessings? Uh, does God accept our best efforts even when we're, when they're grossly imperfect? Does he, he just say, well, you know, do the best you can and I'll bless you best I can. If, if that's true, why was it necessary to, for Jesus to achieve perfect obedience for our salvation? These are questions that are not answered in a lot of this stuff about getting better and being, having a blessed life and, and all of that kind of stuff. Today, what I want to do for the sake of clarity is I want to use some other words, uh, some other phrases rather than the blessed life. And the two uh, phrases I want to use are the good life and the shared life. So I want to talk about those two things and how, how different they are. So let's talk about the good life. It's the life that tries to align with divine order. It's the recognition that God created this world. Uh, he created all things with his with design. There's order to it. And if you align yourself with that order, then there are benefits. Uh, it works. Life works when it's aligned with design order. If you don't acknowledge that there's a creator and that there's design order, then you, it's kind of hit and miss, or it's miss altogether, and it, it brings kind of a destruction. Uh, obviously, before the flood, the people had decided not to live by divine order, and they were living by whatever order their desires and appetites chose, and, and God brought the flood. Uh, after the flood, in Genesis eight twenty two. It says, from this time on, God, here's how the earth will be sustained. There will be springtime and harvest. There will be day and night. There will be cold and hot. There will be rhythms, in other words. There will be order that God uses to sustain creation. We see that in agriculture easily in that mankind has learned that if you plant a seed, you're going to get back that seed, uh, reproduction and multiplication of that seed. And so we learn to plant the seeds that we want to harvest. We learn that we have to cooperate with the seasons of the year. You you don't plant in winter time. And, and so these are illustrative of the different kind of principles that God has put into creation that when you discover them and live by them, 
life works better. But uh, there's more to life than living by created principles. These, these principles of created order were reflected in the covenant God made with Moses. So, 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 so God made this promise to Abraham that he was going to bless him and his seed and through him bless the world. Uh, he was talking about something more than discovering these principles of created order. But to get them ready for what he was going to do, so, so the descendants of Abraham go down into Egypt because there's a famine and they go there and, and they're fed by Egypt and then they're, then they're enslaved by Egypt and then God does a miraculous thing and, and brings them out. This is kind of beyond the principles of order because typically a bunch of slaves have a hard time breaking free from something as strong as Egypt and Pharaoh, but but God intervened and he he altered, he superseded the orderly things there. He did a supernatural thing and brought them out and then established them as a nation and gave them explicit directions about how to live with him. Not only how to live in created order, but how to live with him. And so we have the Ten Commandments and the other laws that were given regarding how do you live with a gracious God. And so you can view those as, if you can live according to those, you're going to have a better life. You shall not kill. Well, it's better, if a lot better, if you don't kill, because if you murder then somebody related to the person you murder is going to seek vengeance. And if there's justice in the land, then you're going to wind up either in jail or losing your own life for that. that that's not a good life. You shall not steal. Well, if you steal uh, and somebody catches you, they're going to cut off your arms or something. Or if there's justice, you're going to have to pay back restitution. That That's not it's not good. You have to pay back more than you took, and 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 on top of that, you're going to be known as a thief, and nobody's going to trust you. That's not good living. You should not commit adultery. If you do, that you've broken covenant. You're faithless. Uh, you got all the guilt and the shame of, of hurt. So that's not a good life. So if it were possible to live by those laws that God gave to Israel then you could have a better life. Knowing these principles are, are good. We, we live in a time when people don't even know those principles. Uh, they, they don't even know that the Bible includes them. They don't, there are just so many people that are unaware that there are principles of design. So we, we ignore them to our peril and we rebel against them to our destruction. So, so there are a lot of people who are saying all we need to do is return to living by the principles of design. We need to discover the, the absolute principles that God put on this earth. And uh, if we do, we'll, we'll live better. If we don't, we're foolish. We, we, we reap the rewards of a fool. Now, at this level in the good life, you can... You can see 
productivity in relationship to or in in the percentage in relation to uh, your alignment. For instance, maybe an illustration would help better than my trying to enunciate the principle. A farmer can be sloppy in his farming. Uh, I have known some of those. They can partially plant and partially cultivate and partially fertilize and partially care for it. And you know what? They get up a partial harvest. But they do get some harvest. If they were to really go by the excellent principles of God's God's design, they would plant properly, they would cultivate properly, they would fertilize properly, and they'd get a bigger harvest. So at that level, there is some kind of fruit. There is at least partial uh, results, rewards, benefits that come from partially obeying. You know, you could your body could be in bad shape, and you say, I'm going to cut out some of my toxins. I'm going to quit eating so much ice cream, and I'm going to quit putting into my body to, you know, the wrong stuff. And you can partially do that, and you can partially improve your health. But it's not the same thing as somebody says, I'm going to live healthfully. And so they cut out all the toxins they possibly can. They will, they will be healthier. Now, this, this truth right here trips a lot of people up because they say, well, see, partial obedience brings partial blessing. So it's up to you. You want to be blessed a lot? Obey a lot. If you want to be blessed a little, obey a little. And that's just kind of how, how life works. Well, it's true if you're living at, at the level of principles and laws and regulations and, and so forth. But uh, there's a better life. See, you can be, you can live right, work right, be nice, give to the poor, align yourself with the laws of nature, practice the Old Testament law of tithing, follow the Sabbath, you can fast, and still miss the life God prepared for you. Did you hear what I said? You see, Adam's sin not only brought darkness to man's understanding so that he he didn't know the laws that God had given to him and he wasn't partnering with God, it actually alienated man from God so that man was not living in the conscious presence of God and was not living as a partner with God. And that is what we were destined for. That's what you were created for. Man was not created to do life apart from partnering with God, sharing the life of God. The shared life is what God intended. He put Adam and Eve in the garden and he walked and talked with them. They were to do life with him. They were never to do life apart from his presence, his provision, his protection, his love. And and yet when they sinned, they didn't have that. So they in order to survive on the earth, they had to learn to discover the principles of productivity or sustainability or survival. So we, we were designed to live the shared life. That, that's my point. Leveraging principles won't, won't do it. In order to share the life of God, 
who is absolute goodness, we must have perfect obedience. There, therein lies a problem. But God has brought a solution. God has acted in our behalf by sending his son as a new Adam who lived a perfectly obedient life, paying a perfect penalty for our disobedience. He transfers to our account that perfect obedience, and we are reconciled to God so that we can share his life again. You see, all the promises, now listen to me, all the promises, all the promised blessings related, relating to, the, uh, to obedience toward God have been bestowed upon the only person who obeyed. That's Jesus. He gets them all. All the promised blessings of obedience, covenant obedience, goes to Jesus. There's none left unclaimed for us to earn. The, the other thing is all the curses related to disobedience toward God in, in his covenant relationship have been cast upon Jesus and he's canceled them. There, there are no carrots at the end of the stick and there are no curses. Beware of carrots and curses. When you hear someone preaching, teaching, guiding you, giving you instructions about living, and they're offering carrots, if you'll do this, if you'll do these things, you'll be blessed. And if you do these things, you'll be cursed. You are, you're listening to something that is not the gospel. That, that, is, that is not what the gospel is about. Uh, that's Old Testament. That, that is, that's principles of the, quote, good life. And that that's not where that's not the shared life. So so there are no there's no blessings for us to earn, there are no curses to threaten us, and we're not going to get them based on our partial obedience. And by the way, all of our obedience is partial. I mean, you and I know that. We we know that even when we do the right thing, sometimes we're not wanting to and and we're doing it for our own selfish end. But but the, the good news of the gospel is, you know, I don't, I don't have to. I don't have to do perfect obedience. Uh, I receive the blessings based on the common life I share with Christ. He, he's in us. We're in him. We're blessed in Christ. And the New Testament makes it really clear. Any kind of submission to regulations or commandments or laws that does not proceed from the heart of faith and love is not really obedience at all. Well, what did Paul say when he described uh, that life in 1 Corinthians 13? He describes the nature of love and he says, "I, I can give my body to be burned. I can have faith to move mountains. I can do all of these. Everything that you would think is the epitome of dedication and obedience. I can do all of those things, and if I don't have love, I'm like a tinkling symbol. I'm useless. It's it's religion. It, it's a it's it's abomination in the sight of God to try to be obedient without trusting Christ's obedience as yours. It, it, it it's not 
obedience if it's not done out of love. And you can't do it out of love until you're loved by God and receive that kind of love. It's a fleshly attempt to negotiate with God for your rewards without consideration for the, for the mediator. Hear what I'm saying? That's the nature of man-made religion, natural religion. We think we relate directly to God. I'll go to God, and if I'm good, God will bless me. If I'm bad, God will curse me. Uh, there's a mediator. If you don't consider the me a mediator, you think you're going straight to God, you don't have a chance because God requires absolute obedience. So I have to go to him through a mediator, the one who came in my stead, lived as me, died for me, raised for me, sits at the right hand of the Father to guarantee for me eternal life. If I don't relate to God through the mediator, then I am rebelling. I am, I am not only, <laughs> I'm not only not, not receiving his grace, I'm rebelling. I am going against God's prescribed way to him. You cannot neglect to trust Jesus for your standing with God while meticulously following biblical laws and still expect to be blessed. I, I mean, like we said earlier, if you don't kill somebody, it's better than not killing somebody. If you don't steal, it's better than not stealing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we're talking about blessing. We're talking about God giving to you those things he has promised to give to his son. The only blessed life possible is the one lived from the position of the already finished work of Christ. Because we are blessed, we are free to live by the same love that captured us. This otherworldly love will fulfill all things the laws require and, and more. So, bottom line, the blessed life is not one characterized by what we do to trigger God's blessing on us. Serving, giving, tithing, fasting, praying, whatever. Neither is the blessed life measured by the temporal fruit yielded by a bountiful creation as principles of design are honored. The blessings, the covenant blessings that God promised his, his people are, are not just those you sow and you reap stuff. Yeah, you can, if you do things right, you know, generally, you're, you're going to make money. Things are going to go better. So you can judge your life and go, okay, I'm blessed. You know, I got more than some others, so I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. Maybe not. You may be just leveraging the principles of created design, and you may not be blessed at all. You may just be reaping the benefits of living in a universe that God has so graciously endued with, with abundance. Th those kind of benefits are are available for both believers and unbelievers. Uh, I, I grew up in the agricultural world. I knew a lot of farmers who were wicked, mean, self-absorbed people. They were great farmers. Their corn came up just like our corn. Their cotton grew just like ours, sometimes better. Their peanuts 
graded out just as good as or better than ours. So, so, so those things are not are not blessings in the sense of fulfillment of God's promises to His people. The shared life that I'm talking to you about is is so much different, so much better than just the good life. It, it's characterized by partnership that we share with God through the Spirit. Remember, remember that. It's characterized by partnership. That not only am I conscious of his presence, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting in some church service somewhere waiting for his presence to come and waiting for us to get the right atmosphere so he'll feel comfortable to come. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living every moment, conscious that my life is his life and his life is my life. And I'm, I'm partners with him. And he's as real to me in the business deal as he is in the prayer service. That, that's what I'm talking about, partnership with God. This kind of life displays a peace that exists even without understanding. It, it includes a love beyond human capability. It's based on a hope anchored at the right hand of the Father. It exudes a faith that sees the invisible world as clearly as the visible one. It fears no fires of hell. It walks through the fire of testing without the smell of smoke. It's not intimidated by the accusations of a deposed prosecutor. It's not paralyzed by guilt or disqualified by lies. It waits for God's timing, works in God's power. It exalts the one hero of history and exalts in the privilege of knowing him. It rejoices in prosperity, but is grateful when times are lean. It's always generous. The riches of this world are seen only as tools, utensils, utensils for compassion. You will not find the symbols of success on, in the trophy case of the truly blessed. They are people who have died with Christ, been raised with Christ, live now with Christ to honor the Father. That's what I'm talking about, the shared life. Now, some would say, well, that's good, but I think I'll just settle for the good life. Well, let me tell you something about just settling. It, it, it's not like you've got an option here and you can choose the best or settle. History testifies that humans cannot long sustain the good life. If you say, well, I, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to live by the ordered principles. Well, yeah, we've already shown obviously that if if you do certain things certain rewards are going to come but, but i want you to go back in biblical history after the flood i mean a lot of evil's been washed away here but after the flood it relative, relatively it's a short time until there's babel I mean, God had said to them after the flood, now here are the rhythms I want you to live by. There are rhythms in life, there are principles in life, discover them and live by them and that you, you'll find that you can sustain life on the earth. Well, before long, they're building a tower to God to build a name for themselves. Uh, during the period of the judges, after God brought Israel 
uh, brought the descendants of Abraham out of Egypt and established him as a nation. They had a period there, 325 or so years, where they would do well living by the law for a while, but then they would they'd mess up. So you got 12 cycles of them being restored by a judge that God would raise up and vindicate them, and, and, and they'd go, we're going to do it this time, we're going to do it this time, and then they would they would fall back into that cycle of turning to other gods, trusting other things because they the good life doesn't truly satisfy. Oh, it can put grain in the barn. It can put a horse in the, in the stall. It can put clothes on your back, but it cannot satisfy that longing down deep inside for partnership with God. So continually, Israel would prove that you can't just choose the good life. There are those that, as it relates to our nation, you know, want, want us to just return back to return back to morality. If if you're thinking that we can live in morality, we can have a more moral culture, therefore a, a more Bless culture. Let's let's go back to uh, let's go back to being nice to one another and all kind of things. That you're not really understanding the nature of life, and you're not really understanding the nature of the gospel. You see, without gospel-inspired virtue, human interaction will become more and more toxic, and for survival, people will either turn to a dictator or to a complex central government for regulation. Now think, think with me about this. You know, I'm one of those who would love to see the central government, federal government, as much as possible get out of our business. So I would say I am for limited government. Let me tell you what you have to have for limited government. You have to have some virtuous people. Because you see, if you don't have virtuous people, human interaction will become so toxic that they will begin tearing each other, ripping each other, killing each other. And so so you have to bring laws in. You have to bring regulations in. And the, the less virtue there is in the people, the more regulations you have to have. So you can't have true secularism where virtue is defined in terms of whatever I want to do. And I get to define reality by my desires. You, you can't have that and, and have limited government too. Uh, if you have people who can't govern themselves or won't govern themselves according to reality, then, then you, you're going to have to have central government. So our, our choice is not, well, you know, let, let's take the good life and and let's just live by the principle. That way we don't have to worry about we don't have to worry about being persecuted by saying Jesus is is the only way in everything. So the hope for a peaceful and productive society does not lie in small government or revival of elemental principles. The, the only hope for sustained freedom in a society is the unashamed embrace of reconciliation to God, partnering with God that comes through Jesus Christ. The good life is temporary 
simply because humans beset with sin cannot long follow even elementary principles of created design. If that were possible, then Jesus' appearance, life, death, whatever is unnecessary. We just needed another prophet to say live by the law. You see, God is in, he's commissioned his people to infect the whole world with the message of hope in the shared life. You can actually be reconciled to God and actually share life even greater than Adam and Eve. For God does not have to walk in the garden with us, but he actually, we live in him and he lives in us. The only hope of personal salvation, of internal satisfaction, the the hope of heaven, the the hope of a a functioning society and having peace at any level comes not through the good life, but from the shared life. Does this make sense to you? Well, I hope it's uh, more than sense to you. I hope it's revelation to you. I hope you see that. And the result is that, that we are unashamed gospel people, that if we are going to turn from our wicked ways, that means we're turning to the centrality of Christ. You can't turn from your wicked ways back to better ways for us, our partial obedience, our intentions to do better, our, our, our better commitment to following laws and regulations. No, to turn from your wicked ways is to turn to the gospel, is to turn to the finished work of Christ on the cross. It's to turn to the final word of God. It's not to turn to the word of Jeremiah or Ezekiel uh, or any of the prophets. They were they were looking forward. They were predicting uh, the final hope. We have the final hope in Christ. And so there, there's no turning from your wicked ways to our, our good ways. There is no good way if you're rejecting Christ. There, there's no good way if you're, if you're bypassing Christ. There, it's not good. It's idolatrous. It's rebellion. There's nothing more rebellious than people who are trying to relate to God, get blessings from God without considering Jesus. Uh, it's, it's blasphemy. It, it, it's, it's saying to the Father, I love you, but I don't love your son. It, it won't work. We cannot come to God without the mediator, Jesus Christ. So I, I pray for you today that that you will will never settle for just the good life, but you will uh, realize the privilege of living the shared life with Christ. So, Father, that is my prayer. I pray for all of us that we would see the great benefit of the gospel, that, that it's not a tag-on to to life. It's, it's not like, well, we're going to do the best we can to make make created order productive and leverage the principles of creation. And oh, by the way, we need to add the gospel in there so we can go to heaven. Lord, I pray that in our hearts, you would destroy that myth, that lie. And would you put within us the, the desire to know you in your fullest, 
to know you in the power of your resurrection, in the fellowship of your suffering, to know you in life, to know you in death, to, lo- to know you in mission, that, that nothing of ourselves means anything but, but our relationship to you. So I, I pray that you would uh, put that deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.